Hey, it's Jonathan Beatleman here with you guys on The Fan. So it's weird. I, you know, I, I don't like to do tributes. We'll get back to sports in a second, but i got to share a couple stories with you. you know, Mike Francesa one time said that he, he liked talking about people when they died. That was like one of his favorite things to do in sports radio. I don't really like to do that. It's not that I'm uncomfortable with death. In fact, I like talking about death. I really do. Uh, because I think in a lot of ways you can learn a lot about people when they die. You can learn a lot about the history. You can learn a lot about uh, I, just people are just it, it's fascinating people you don't know a lot about when they do pass away. But I just I don't I feel like I never eulogize it the right way. I never do it the right way. And, and uh, maybe it's because for a lot of people, by the time they actually die, they are they're out of the spotlight for X amount of years. And so you're not thinking about them the same way. And I thought about this today. I felt bad about it. You know, Toby Keith passed away today. Toby Keith was one of my favorite artists of all time, okay? And I, I'll, I'll share a story about that in a second, but I hadn't listened to Toby Keith music in a decade. Like, I listened to his music, his old music. I put that up on Spotify, and I'll give that a run, but I hadn't listened to anything new he'd put out. And so as far as his career was concerned, for me, he'd stop making music. Basically, the sad part is that for me, his value to me as far as an entertainer was concerned was basically done. It's like it's like when you have a baseball player or any athlete of sorts. Like Mark Grace, my favorite baseball player of all time. When Mark Grace stopped playing baseball, Mark Grace was still a broadcaster, but Mark Grace stopped playing baseball. Mark Grace, the person existed, yes, but the entertainment side of Mark Grace ceased to exist. And I've always had a weird understanding of that. You know, because I, I do separate art from the artist a lot of times. That's how I'm able to go through a lot of my sports watching view, uh, viewership habits that I have, where I'm like, all right, yeah, maybe that person sucks in real life, but I separate the art from the artist. So I really do take a lot of artists at face value. And, and I expect you guys to in a lot of ways as well. You know, if I don't make radio shows, if I do radio shows for the next 30 years, and I do this thing until I'm 34, I'm, I do this until I'm 64, and then I retire, and then you see me three years later walking down the street down Euclid, you came up and said, hey, JP, loved listening to you for 30, 30 years, thought you were great, loved it. Like, awesome. That's awesome. That's great. That's great. And then if you try to ask me about what's going on with the 2054 Browns, I'd be like, you don't need my thoughts on that. Like, I, I've, I've stepped away. I'm As far as my entertainment value to you is concerned, I, I, I just, I cease to exist almost. And so I've always had a hard time with that. And Toby Keith, I think, is one of those artists that I've had a really hard time with it because I really loved the first part of his career and the second part of his career was just much different. It was fine still, but it was much different than the Toby Keith that I first really grew up on and really loved. You know, I'm talking like Blue Moon, stuff like that. Those are the type of songs that I loved. He should have been a cowboy. Those type of songs are the ones that I really gravitated towards, not necessarily the ones that talked about red solo cups and was party music. Like that was that was later Toby Keith, and he swerved into that, but it was a completely different genre for me. So my mom grew up in country radio, as some of you guys know, though, and uh, I'll never forget... So Toby Keith was my favorite artist growing up, and like he was leaps and bounds above everyone. I liked him more than I liked Garth Brooks. I liked him more than I liked Keith Urban. I liked, He was my absolute favorite. And if you would have asked me when I first started liking Taylor Swift, it, did I ever like him more than I liked Taylor Swift? I would even say, of course. Yes, I did. I it, it, Arguably my favorite artist of all time. And so I think I might have been maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. 
And Toby yet wasn't a big act. Like he was, he was getting there. He wasn't a big act, but my mom was a country DJ. And so we got to go to a lot of concerts and everything like that. And so she got me a meet and greet with Toby Keith. And I'll never forget this because we, I, I do meet and greets every now and then, uh, you know, go and meet different uh, country artists. Again, I was in a good situation. My mom, it was part of her work. So she'd go and interview the people and I'd get to do the meet and greet ahead of time. And then usually you get to ask like, a question or something, or you make a quick comment or whatever. Or sometimes you just get your autograph and you keep it moving. Right. But I wanted to meet Toby Keith. And so we went back, we got backstage and everything. And I go up to meet Toby Keith. And at this point, he wasn't that big of a deal. And I went up to him and, you know, he's every bit the the icon that I thought he'd be, right? He looks like he looks like he just came out of a country western movie. He is he's got the he, he, you know, he's got the full beard going, the cowboy hat on, big dude, intimidating guy, right? But I'm like a 10-year-old. And and so I told him, you know, he goes, I said, you know, I you know, he he's trying to break the ice cuz it's a lot of media executive type people in the background and everything. And he goes, "Oh, wow, great to see you here. Who who's your favorite country artist?" And I'm like, "Well, you." He's like, "Me? No, it can't be me. I'm not I'm nobody's favorite. It can't be me." I'm like, "No, you. You're my favorite." And he loved that. And he gave me like a big hug and everything like that. He signed everything in the world for me, gave me a a guitar pick and everything like that and just thought that was awesome. That somebody at that point in his career thought that, you know, I was I loved him more than anyone. And I just thought he was just a very cool guy. And I thought he was, it just, it worked. It was sad to me the second half of his career as his music changed and evolved to something that it just wasn't when I grew up and got into it. So anyway, I'm awful at these type of things, but I did want to share it with you guys because it'd be like, I mean, it was, it was my favorite artist growing up and to pass away suddenly the way that he did. It was just, it was very sad today. A sad day overall. I spent a lot of the day listening back to some of his old music, spent a lot of the day uh, going through some of my favorite songs of his and, I'll probably do that on the ride home as well. And it's just, it's one of those days where I, it just kind of hits you a little bit different. I've never had a favorite musician die. I, I named you all my favorite musicians. You know, I, I have never had a favorite musician pass away. And I, I can see how if you separate the art from the artist, maybe it's a little bit easier the way that I have with him. Because I can still go back and listen to his stuff from the 90s. It's okay. But it's just, I don't know. It's a little sad. All right. 216474 to below 92. I'm going to completely just take a, a complete left turn. We're going to just jerk the wheel right into the right into the wall here and just completely make a, a completely different direction here. But I want to talk to you guys about uh, what I saw from Rick Pitino today because I think this was fascinating. So Rick Pitino is out tweeting, and uh, I it's actually kind of funny in here. He's got some good lines. He puts out some solutions for college basketball, which I think we can adopt for college football as well. Solution number two that he came up with. Do away with letters of intent. Make athletes sign a two-year binding contract, no different than professional athletes, which they are. With that, the collective puts together their NIL contract based on the cap. Obviously, it has a lot to go into this. I believe the NCAA should be taken out of the equation. The commissioners put into it as the NCAA loses more cases than the defense lawyers on law and order. It's a great line. It's not what I love the most, though. I think I liked his first solution better. Have the Power Five and Big East Conference commissioners get to get together and create a salary cap between $1.5 to $2 million, all contracts delivered to the league and the school. That's the one that I think I like the most. Maybe not the $2 million. Maybe it's 10, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 20. This, though, is the change football and college basketball needs. Hear me out. 
okay? Just hear me out before you come to conclusions and before you do the thing that I feel like a lot of people are going to do. Yeah, but Jonathan, we fought so hard to get these, these players paid. Yeah, you fought very hard to get them paid. The system's broke. The system's flawed. The goose is cooked here, okay, guys? The NIL world doesn't work. And Ohio State is part of the reason that it doesn't work. I'm not here to rip on Ohio State in the process, but Ohio State is part of the reason it doesn't work. Caleb Downs came to Ohio State. All they had to do was drop the bag at his doorstep. He didn't like Ohio State. Hell, I don't know if he ever even considered Ohio State ever, but Alabama didn't offer him the bag, and here he is. Ohio State bought their future success in a way that we've never seen before, and the competitive balance has been completely ripped away, and that's fine. I don't begrudge Ohio State for having the boosters to do this. My problem is not with Ohio State trying to right a wrong from pretending the NIL was the boogeyman. My problem is why is Ohio State making money hands over fist and we're the ones left holding the receipt for a five-star cornerback? The fans paying the freight makes no sense to me and never has within the college football landscape. Fans are paying the salaries and the NIL deals with these schools, they just get richer and richer. It was the loophole the institutions dreamed of. Get Dan's classic autos to give the NIL a bunch of money and the collectives a bunch of money, and you spend no more of their own dinero, and the wheels keep on spinning. It is a grift of the highest order, and we were all so desperate to pay the kids something that we all just leapt at it. College football played the common fan for suckers. I got a text from a buddy of mine after the Michigan loss, and he was joking a little bit. He said he was going to have to donate to the collective, boost this team up. It was a joke, but he's a big enough fan. I don't know that it was actually a joke. Man's got children, mouths to feed, and his money is going there for why? So the colleges can continue to make a bunch of money regardless? I want to frame this the right way. I really do. Patino's got the right idea in my, in my mind. It's not Ohio State's fault that this is happening, but it is something these schools have to decide on and get to. As of right now, there is nothing holding any of these schools back from buying themselves a national title. If you want an actual fair college football landscape, and maybe just the SEC and the Big Ten and everybody else can decide if they want to get on board, you have a salary cap, and maybe that number is $10 million. And if you want to spend $9 million on a quarterback, great. You got $1 million to work with. Give them a deal as well. So if you sign a two-year deal, three-year deal, four-year deal, you are stopping the transfer portal madness. You are saying if you sign a three-year deal, guess what? You're here for three years at the price negotiated upon, and you're not going anywhere for those three years. And there'll be no sympathy for the players in this because the players signed the contract. The same way an NBA player signed the contract, he's there for three years, and that's that. Same thing in uh, any major sport with the exception of baseball. Right now, college football is like Major League Baseball. Ohio State is like the Yankees. That's fine. It's their right. But I feel like college football should be closer to what the NBA is Guaranteed contracts, salary cap, and strict punishments if you go over. 216474 to below 92. Rick Patino says college basketball needs a salary cap. I'm in favor of it. I think it's one of the smarter ideas I've heard. Is this the answer to fixing college sports and college football and basketball? Because I'll tell you one thing. If you think this thing isn't broke, then you got your head buried in the sand. We'll continue on with this. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterson here with you on The Fan. 8.1 out of 10. That was a good promo. That was a good promo. It reminded people Valentine's Day is coming up. 
you know, get on it. And also, pick up a six-pack if you want to. All right, back out of here. It is overtime with John at the Beatle. I'm going to start rating the promos when we come back, okay? That's going to be a thing that I do. It's like Portnoy and his pizza slices. I'm just going to give out ratings for promos. That was an 8, what, 8.1, 8.2? It's kind of like our Sid Capone joke of the day. I just like to rate things. That's all this comes down to. Oh! Oh! I did win a pizza back on, uh, on Sid Capone. Just, just so we know, I maybe I'll do a Super Bowl bet with Sid Capone. Maybe I can get, maybe I can get the Chiefs, and then uh, we'll act as if like the money line, the advantage I have is like double pepperoni or something. I'm not entirely sure. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. I'm right now though. I'm, I'm fascinated by this story, and I, I don't know. Maybe tomorrow it'll hit bigger for people. It hit pretty big for some, not for everyone today. But I think this could be the future of college athletics. Rick Pitino saying college basketball needs a salary cap. I think the NIL was a good first attempt. I think it opened up the floodgates to the idea that players should be paid. Now let's figure this out. Give me contracts. Base it at $10 million per recruiting class. You want to pay a quarterback $9 million? Great. You've got a million bucks left to spend. It's not that hard. If you want to hang up the not interested sign, please tell me. Maybe it's just the idea that you're an Ohio State fan and you understand this would be turning college football and basketball closer to the NFL than it is baseball. Right now, baseball is what this looks like where Ohio State is the Yankees. You hate the Yankees, but you love Ohio State. There's hypocrisy going on here. Because right now with the collective uh, and, and with all the collectives and the boosters, all you're doing is just getting money and outspending everybody. That's all that's happening here. You're not beating anybody. You're just outspending everybody. And that's fine if you want to stay at the mountaintop, okay. But if college football is going to actually thrive, we need to turn this into something that's sustainable. And I don't even know that it's about competitive balance. It's more about the idea that if you watch a college football game, you should be able to live with the fact that a cornerback that you got to play for your school is going to be there longer than a year. If a coach benches a player, he's not going to instantly sign up for the transfer portal because he doesn't get his way. He's going to be able to go through, and because he signed a three-year contract, guess what? Ryan Day can tell him to ride the pine, and it doesn't matter. He's not going to instantly go to his agents and his mom and his dad and say, get me to Florida State yesterday. Get me to Texas and Alabama. He's going to be like, I guess I signed a three-year deal. I'm forced to. For better or worse, you sign somebody for $250,000 three years, and they don't, they're not able to play a snap for you. Them's the breaks. Tough luck. Shouldn't have gave him a contract then. But this has got to be the future of how we do this. I am so tired of the fans paying the price of admission for these guys. Why does it fall on us? Why does it fall on the fans? How many Michigan fans ended up paying for J.J. McCarthy to go to school there? It just doesn't make any sense to me. How the NCAA and how these big schools were able to get away from this is it's mind-blowing to me. 216474 to below 92. I just don't understand how we did it. And Rick Pitino, I think, comes up with a solution. College basketball, college football, get me a salary cap, and then let's do this thing. NIL would get buried. If you break the rules, it's an instant two-year postseason ban. You don't drag it out forever. Two- or three-year ban. No strike one, strike two, and then strike three, and use common sense and go from there. I don't need Bruce Pearl show causes for grilling outside. Be reasonable about it. But you just can't go over the dollar amount. Patino wanted $2 million. The reality is that these quarterbacks getting a million dollars, more than enough. I don't know why I seem like old man get off my lawn when I'm like a million dollars in a four-year education. I think that's a pretty good deal. 
A lot of these quarterbacks, 99% of these quarterbacks are not going to the NFL. Why is a million-dollar contract mixed with four years of education a bad lot in their life? I don't understand it. Contracts given to the school. Maybe you have a GM of the college football or the basketball teams as well. Someone that answers to the head coach and makes decisions when it comes to the amount of years and everything else. But if you sign for three years, you're a Buckeye for three years at the agreed-upon price. Don't like it? Guess what? You have control over that. Make it a one-year deal. Make it easy on yourself. You want to bet on yourself? Okay, fine. You can bet on yourself. One-year deal, whatever that price is, and then go back into the portal and figure it all out. I think it would be paramount for college basketball. I watch so much college hoops in any given night. I do. I love it. I complained about Peacock and Ohio State tonight because I, I, I don't love the idea that I can't just flip between channel and channel and channel. And when you have to go on an app, you got to actually like click on the button and then it just takes you. It's, I know it's two steps, but it's just two more steps than I ever want to do. And if I'm watching six different games at one time, I'd like to be able, and I got a multi-TV setup, I'd like to be able to just go back return, back return, here we go. Problem is that if you're a college basketball fan, you're watching these games and you're seeing so many different stars from one team to the next, and they're there for one year and that's it. You, you can't fall in love with any of these guys. NCAA is the same story. When you start to fall in love with some of these guys, coach benches them or coach all of a sudden upgrades somebody else and and then you one guy in, one guy out. It can't be a nightclub situation, okay? I want college football and college basketball to thrive. The NIL always was going to have its issues. In fact, I had predicted when it first launched, and listen, I'm all about guys getting paid. I am very pro-athlete. But I had predicted when it first launched, all it was going to take is one version of what I believe to be what would have happened if T. Boone Pickens was still alive. T. Boone Pickens, a big-time Oklahoma State booster, passed away but had donated like $100 million to the school like seven different times or something insane. Like just consistently just donating hundreds of millions of dollars to Oklahoma State to try to make them the very, very best he possibly could. You know what T. Boone Pickens would have done if he was alive today? He would have just said, oh, all I got to do is pay money as part of a collective to go ahead and keep any player I want and then bring in any player I want? You mean Caleb Downs would gladly come to Oklahoma State? All it takes is just some money? Here. Here's my whole net worth. Let's figure this thing out and let's bring home a national title. It was always going to end up in a bad spot. The problem I've always had, though, is that it's not necessarily that it's all these boosters having to raise money. It's that it's all these boosters and it's all these fans and the money isn't being taken away from the school while the school then profits a million times over. Why is it on us, the fans, to have to pay the freight? Why do we get stuck with the receipt when Ohio State gets a four-star cornerback? Why do we get the receipt when Ohio State gets stuck with a you know four-star running back they really, truly want? just doesn't make any sense to me. It'll help the transfer portal. And listen, if there's anything more fun than treating the NCAA like a bowling pin, I haven't found it. Strip them of their powers. Make this a conference-wide issue. NCAA hasn't shown me they care about anything other than dead presidents on paper bills, okay? They're not fit to handle this type of change. They're the parents that don't actually watch their kids and claim to be parent of the year. You're not parent of the year. You went to Coachella instead of changing diapers. Watching your kid doesn't involve ayahuasca, okay? Something needs to change, and someone needs to take over. So put it on the conferences, have them step in, make the changes, and go from there. 
NIL needs to be done. Contracts for players, that's got to be the way. 216474 to below 92. All right, let me bring in Michael Bohm here. I told him, sit back, wait patiently, and then uh, formulate your opinion because he's a massive Buckeye fan, one of the biggest Buckeye fans we have at the station, if not the biggest Buckeye fan we have at the station. And I'm dying to know what you think as I just obliterated basically the whole structure of college football and basketball for about eh, 20 minutes or so. Yeah, so as far as like the implementation of a, a salary cap, I think ultimately what you want in competitive sports is more parity, right? You want everyone to feel like they have a chance. Yeah. Um, and it feels like as we're getting into this era now where people are sitting out smaller bowl games or ones that anything that's not in the playoffs, you have to expect that anyone considering entering the NFL draft that year could be sitting out. Uh, it feels like they need something to make all of this a little bit more relevant for every program, not just like the, the top tier programs. I think it would hurt Ohio State because obviously you're evening oh, the playing field. Oh, for sure it would. Yeah. Um, but objectively, I think that there's uh, there's something to it, JP. Yeah, I mean, and this is another thing. I, I know Ohio State fans will probably they'll, they'll be like, no, we can't do it because it'll directly hurt us. And I get that and understand that. I don't know that college football will continue to go on at the same rate and the same pace if all it turns into is the team with the most amount of money gets to buy whatever they want. It, it took a couple years. Ohio State didn't understand in the beginning just how important it was to be spending the dinero and the paper attached to what it takes to not only keep these guys, retain these guys at the schools they're at, but then also bring in new blood. I just don't think they understood. And then losing to Michigan for the third time and then uh, watching Michigan win the national title, you could tell the, the alarm bells went off in their head. And they made a conscious decision to spend like drunken sailors, and that's okay and that's fine. Their power is there. They have it. But college football has got to be the right people to adjust now. If you create a video game, or let's just say a board game, let's keep it simple. You create a board game, you spend your heart and soul into this board game, and then all of a sudden it gets widely popular, but Reddit figures out, uh, or the smart people on the internet figure out a way to basically have a cheat code in your board game and win every time, probably got to plug the holes up, don't you? Got to figure out a new way to go ahead and create a new game that doesn't have a cheat code. Guess what? Ohio State took them a little bit, but they found the cheat code. Turns out anytime they cry that they need money from their collective, the fans are sitting there holding out their dollars, holding out their money, ready to go ahead and spend at ease. It's not Ohio State's fault that they have passionate and good football fans attached to their school ready to spend at a drop of a hat. But why is it falling on the fans? Why is it falling on the boosters? Why is it falling on you and me to keep Ohio State relevant? Make it a salary-capped league. Make it $10 million, 10% of what their TV revenue is, and then put the onus back on the schools while also creating a competitively balanced field. Create a system where it makes it matter if you swing and miss on a four-star recruit. Create a system where it matters if you swing and miss on somebody that you'd recruited since they were in seventh grade and you had a hunch on. Nowadays, it doesn't matter. Nowadays, you just offer the guy up, you give him the most amount of money, he has no association or ties to Ohio State, and then the moment that the money dries up, then he goes to a different school and gets even more money. I mean, it's just it's what happens. This is not sustainable for college football, not sustainable for college basketball. You can't be the school that cries poor when your net worths at these schools are in the billions with a B. You can't, you can't continue to do that. So I'm not robbing 
the athletes or the student athletes. And I definitely am saying, I don't believe quarterbacks that aren't making it to the NFL should be worth $7 million a year. I think maybe about a million dollars a year, figure it out from there, get them a four-year education. 99% of these guys aren't Caleb Williams. And I'm sorry that that robs Caleb Williams of potentially making $7 million for one season. He's going to be the exception here. He'll figure it out. He's he's part of the 99, or excuse me, he's part of the one of 1%. He'll be okay. Wendy's will still call when he gets drafted number one overall. Just don't know. I just don't understand why anybody would be against this for college football. This is the right move. Salary cap league. Rick Patino's got the right idea. All right, leave that there. We come on back. We'll get into the Browns. We haven't touched on the Browns yet today. Odyssey Rewind, go back 7 o'clock. We did a lot on the Cavs. Who's in charge? Is it Deshaun or is it Ken Dorsey? More to come. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on the fan. We're proud to have more local sports talk in all of Ohio than anyone else, and we have the app to prove it. Follow each of our local shows chapter by chapter on the Odyssey app to see every topic that we've covered over the past 72 hours. All right, we're going to get to a discussion on who's actually in charge in Berea coming up in a moment. I did want to play this clip for you guys. This is from our friends Boomer and Geo in New York. They're at – so let me set it up. They're at the Radio Row in Las Vegas. And I, the part that I find hysterical is so last week we discussed briefly the idea that uh, I got an email from a producer, handler, person, uh, how this works. So for the night show, I, I book my own guest, right? And like my guy, Chris Fedor coming on at 10 o'clock. I reached out to Chris. Chris said, let's do it. Here we go. But I also end up in certain situations where because I do book my own guest, I'm also kind of like I'm the host slash producer here in many ways for my own show. And what I mean by that is even though I do have help here, I got Michael Bohm, I got Mackenzie tonight, and they both help me with various things. When it comes to booking the guest on the show, that's a, that's a my call type thing, right? And so because of that, I'll get emails to my email, oddly enough, here we go. Uh, you know, and it'll be from people being like, hey, do you want to have this person on the show? Do you want to have this person on the show? And most of the time, these emails are they're pretty bad. They, they, don't, they don't make sense topically to anything that I would ever actually do. 99% of the guests that I reach out to and have on the show are my connections and people that I know and people that I've made connections with and on and on the list goes, right? There's an occasional time, though, well, they'll reach out and it'll be someone of interest. And I'll be like, oh, that's cool. And now typically in those moments, though, if it's someone that, that like that is actually that cool, Owen's gotten to him for the morning show already. Keith's gotten them uh, for the afternoon show or Medigan's gotten them for the morning or for the midday show. And I just I'm like, I'm out of luck, which is fine. I understand it. Those are the primetime shows. They get the first billing on that. It just is what it is. So last week I got an email and it said Jerry Rice would like to come on the show. And I thought to myself, I haven't gotten a text from anybody saying they already nabbed up Jerry Rice. I was like, pretty sweet. Jerry Rice, that's a pretty good get. Super Bowl weekends, all things considered, right? And I don't know, just going through the day, and I'm thinking to myself like, all right, is this going to work? What do we What do we have here? And um, or I'm sorry, not Jerry Rice, Randy Moss. His name is Randy Moss. Now I'm getting my I'm getting my receivers confused for the story. Randy Moss. I'm like Jerry Rice didn't sound right. Jerry Rice does things. I'm like Randy Moss. I haven't heard do an interview in 
years outside of doing like the the ESPN segments where he'll do like the catches and you know all the different stuff like that. But like going on someone's regular radio show, I haven't heard that in forever. But I got this whole email. It's like Randy Moss, NFL football wants to talk uh, with you guys about the big game and all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And then I clicked into it, and I found out that it wasn't, in fact, the Randy Moss that we all thought it was. It was a different Randy Moss. And so I went from feeling very excited about the prospect to then instantly being like, you know what? That's kind of lame. Like, they really probably should have maybe put in, like, a big, bold, you know, you know like, not suitable uh, for work text, and you put, like, the red sirens, or at least what I do. I put the red sirens so people know, like, hey, you're at work. Don't click on this, right? Like, it should have been something like that, like, not the Randy Moss that you think it is, a different Randy Moss. And then I swept it under the rug, and I haven't thought about it in a week. Well, Boomer and Geo's in uh, Las Vegas for Super Bowl week, and this is what happened to the two of them. Here we go. What is Randy Moss promoting, by the way, Al? Do you, do you know? It's something having to do with horse racing. Really? He's very into horse racing. Are you sure this is the right? Not this the is other Randy, Randy Moss, Moss, the wide receiver, not Randy. Is there another yes. Randy Moss? <clears throat> Uh-oh. There's an announcer, Randy Moss, who is into horse who racing. Who is into horse racing. Please tell me that's fake. That, I, no. That would no. be so awesome. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Because they no. said, I saw in the request that Randy would like to talk about, blah, blah, blah. Also, anything NFL-related, I'm a, I'm a double-checked it. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because we have a great setup and everything is great, but I can't catch a break when it comes to some of this stuff, right? Like, Dua Lipa's in New York when we're out here. I think we're getting Randy Moss. We're getting the white Randy Moss. <laughs> Just wanted to check to see if you would be interested in current NBC sports broadcaster and former NFL network broadcaster and reporter. That's right. That's you fucked the white Randy Moss. You fucked the wrong one, you idiots. First of all, and I was thinking like, I was thinking like, there's no way Randy Moss is coming here. (laughs) No wonder they were so excited too. The the person was like, oh no, he will definitely be there. I feel so much better. Because I legitimately started thinking, I didn't respond to the email or anything, but I legitimately was thinking to myself, oh, well, how can I tie in Randy Moss and Cleveland Browns? How can I get this thing going? And then I, I read deeper into the email where they did have it tucked away. It's like, he wants to talk horse racing. And I'm like, nope, nope, something's not right here. This is fishy. And then I remember it. I'm like, oh, Randy Moss. It's the other Randy Moss. Unfortunate break for our... Uh, our colleagues in New York. All right. Anyway, other thing I wanted to get to, we got the fan focus coming up at nine o'clock. So there was one thing that kind of got left on the cutting room floor when it came to the Dorsey conversation we had yesterday. We had a lot involving Ken Dorsey. Odyssey Rewind, go back and listen to that one. He obviously spoke yesterday. So we had a lot of different cuts, a lot of reaction. I just, after a little bit of time, it's funny what you guys pick up as opposed to what maybe I pick up and talk about. I thought I nailed a lot of the interesting parts of it, and I think we did a really good job. What I think is fascinating, though, there was one clip that kept making the rounds long after the press conference was done and long after my show was done, and I thought it was fascinating how it kind of kind of held up in the, in the ether of a little bit of time here in the uh, post-press conference world for Ken Dorsey. So I'm going to play this clip for you guys, and then we can go into it. Here we go. This is Ken Dorsey yesterday. 
So I, I was able to have a conversation with them, and it was great. You know, we're in that phase, obviously, in the offseason of just more getting to know each other and that type of thing. So it was great to talk to them. I look forward to having more conversations, just to get to know them, know, get to know the guy, get to know the person, you know, and, and a lot of these guys, you know, in the, in the building. So, but it was it was really good to get them on the phone and just kind of, you know, initial conversations. And I, I can't wait to get to work for him with him because, uh, again, he's he's one of the premier quarterbacks in this league. And um, from everything I've, I've heard about, about him uh, a really quality human being so i'm just excited about that opportunity okay, we can leave the quality human being uh stuff off to the side if that's your takeaway on that one we're having a different conversation i was more fascinated with the idea that ken dorsey says work for him instead of work with him and then corrected himself instantly to be like oh yeah we're not work with him and I don't know. If I asked you guys who was in charge, you think it's Deshaun or you think it's Ken Dorsey, we might get a different answer than Deshaun or Ken Dorsey. I, I just I am steadfast in my belief that Deshaun is the one that drives the bus around here. I am steadfast in my belief that if it was not Deshaun Watson that hired Ken Dorsey, at a minimum it wasn't Stefanski. And if I'm going to give the Browns brass any sort of credit, I would make the suggestion that it was Deep Podesta. But I believe Deshaun Watson gets a big say in all this. That's I just I have no other way of thinking about this than Deshaun Watson being able to do whatever he wants. If the man wants red Gatorade on the sidelines during game day, I don't know. Maybe he thinks that's the best color, best flavor. Who knows? If that's what he wants, that's what the Browns should do for him. In the idea of who's got more power between Ken Dorsey and Deshaun Watson, I don't know a person. And we got to get you to a methadone clinic if you think that answers anything but Deshaun Watson. I actually kind of love the fact that that Ken Dorsey had his head on straight in talking about this situation because that is your end goal if you're trying to figure out what to do with this 2024 Browns roster. You are, you're not a butler to Deshaun Watson, but when it comes to what you're able to do inside that building and what you're able to do around that team, you are basically serving at the feet of Deshaun Watson. Yes, you are. Yeah, okay, fine. In the in the uh, construct of a football hierarchy, offensive coordinator should be looked at as more of a boss, should be looked at as more of a an actual uh, somebody that the quarterback would report to, but in no world does that actually exist. You think Peyton Manning ever, you know, uh, hey, a offensive coordinator reporting for duty, uh, is it okay if we do X, Y, and Z? Hell no. You think Tom Brady ever looked at his offensive coordinator and was like, hey, hey, Josh McDaniels, you cool with this? Not a chance. It doesn't happen. Not in this NFL. The guy that makes the most amount of money and the guy that impacts the games in the biggest way, and in this case, both of those answers is Deshaun Watson, gets to make the calls and the decisions. It's not tough. Follow the green brick road. It'll take you a long way in a lot of of places in life. It usually is the answer in a lot of these discussions, but between Ken Dorsey and Deshaun Watson, I I thought Ken Dorsey had the right mentality. People wanted to rip him for it as if he's some sort of servant to Deshaun Watson. No, 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 no. That's not the case. But in many ways, if he's approaching his job like I report to Deshaun instead of Deshaun reports to me, I think that's a healthy dynamic for Ken Dorsey. Ken Dorsey should be operating as an offensive coordinator, and I really do believe this, with the entirety of thinking that all I'm trying to do is make Deshaun's life easier And all I'm trying to do is make sure that at the end of the day, Deshaun is comfortable, he can work within the system that we've put together, and that he can thrive. That should be his end goal. How do I get to Deshaun to that point? 
And if that means Deshaun says that he enjoys flashcards as a way of studying instead of uh, a PowerPoint, then guess what? Get him flashcards if that's what he wants. You know, like, I mean, it, it comes down to uh, the littlest of things that also comes down to the biggest of things. If he says he doesn't want to do the first 15, guess who shouldn't be doing the first 15 scripted plays? Deshaun Watson is the boss in Berea. Paul DePodesta makes a lot of decisions. I believe that in my heart of hearts. Andrew Barry has a seat at the table. I believe that in my heart of hearts. Kevin Stefanski might not be a puppet, but I don't think he's got that much say in a lot of things that happen over there, if I'm being truthful about it. I do believe Deshaun Watson has a major, major say when it comes to what actually happens in Berea and what's actually going to happen with this Browns team moving forward. So why not, if you're Ken Dorsey? Why not feel like you're working for Deshaun Watson? Because ultimately, at the end of the season, if Deshaun Watson's not playing well and he says you're the reason why, then you're gone. Update the LinkedIn resume. You're going to have to find another job. That works for Stefanski the same way as well. Deshaun's not the one getting fired at the end of the year. Deshaun will be the one deciding who gets fired at the end of the year. So I don't know. I didn't hate it. I thought it was refreshing. And I know he didn't mean to say it because he tried to correct himself afterwards, but I liked that mentality from Ken Dorsey, the understanding that, yeah, Deshaun gets to call the shots. Once we stop, once we start accepting that and stop pretending that that's reality, I think we'll be better off. Just us in general, I think we'll be better off. All right, leave that there. We come on back. We got the fan focus. We got off the beaten path next hour as well. Chris Fedor at 10 o'clock. Busy stretch here. Happy to be with you guys here on a Tuesday. It's overtime with Jonathan Pittman here with you on the fan.